TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Hello and welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and as always, it gives me great pleasure to introduce the co-founder of The Wellness Couch and The Wellness Guys. I am excited to hear this man's voice once again. He is the great Dr. Damien Christoph. Hello, legend. Hello, legend. How are you? Mate, I'm pumped. You've been having coffee with one of the great human beings in the land on episode <laughs> 256 of 100 Not Out, we learn about the incredible Ada. I recommend to every single one of you listening, go back and have a listen to episode 256. You want to hear an incredible story of not just World War II survival, but an exceptional life, go back and listen to episode 256. But today, Damo, you've been having coffee with our dear friend, your dear friend, a great uh, friend of the podcast, the wonderful Alice, the daughter of Ada. She's one of the most respected medical doctors in the land. She's been sharing her message around the country. She's been sharing some of her research with you recently over coffee. And it gives us great excitement and enthusiasm that Dr. Alice has joined us on this episode of 100 Not Out. Alice, welcome to 100 Not Out. Oh, thanks, Marcus. Thanks for the generous (laughs) introduction. Hi, Damien. Good morning. Good morning, Alice. It seems like only hours ago that I left you at Sons of Mary uh, in Brighton where we had a beautiful little latte together. You had the decaf, I had the recaf, and uh, we had a a nice little chat. And what I loved about that chat was the two of us coming together and sharing our philosophies because I think there's a beautiful connection between, um, you you know, how you and I communicate and between us. Like it's, it's really, really lovely, and I love catching up with you. And yesterday you dropped a little... Uh, bomb on me and you said that you'd done a, a doctorate um, and you did a doctorate yes. um, some years ago now but can you That's tell us about right. this doctorate because I think this is going to open up a, a great conversation for us on 100 Not Out today. What was the doctorate well, that you did? It was um, in the olden days so about um, <laughs> 20 plus years ago I was really passionate about uh, women's health particularly women going through menopause in their 40s and 50s And uh, I was looking at uh, what they could do for themselves to uh, improve their health or what factors we could find that would be uh, helpful for women at that time. And one of my most interesting studies was I was able to collaborate with the Melbourne Women Midlife Health Study, which was pioneered by Lorraine Dennistein. And it's followed women going through this transition. And there are over 300 Melbourne women, so it's, it's Melbourne Australian data. And uh, the study I collaborated with... So the highest quality show, ever. Yeah, exactly. Um, we were able to show that women that actually had a high range of grains and cereals uh, also ate more fruit, proteins... Um, all the all the nutrients, they had a greater intake of vegetables and they were more likely to exercise, they were less likely to smoke, they were actually leaner and they had stronger bones in the in the hip, in the femoral neck, and they actually had lower negative mood scores. So it was like a whole package. We weren't able to identify that 
one thing caused this. It was they were a more healthy, conscious group. And uh, I was just sort of fascinated with with that. And I suppose that's been um, like a philosophy I've had within my practice, that uh, if we can sort of look at uh, the combination of, of eating well, of movement... Uh, then other things will will flow on from that. So um, I'd love to know when you said just at the end there that this has been a philosophy that you've uh, taken into your practice, is it something that gets discussed amongst your fellow practitioners? I mean, from my understanding, you know, you're around thousands of practitioners, you know, every year, whether it's at conferences and events and and even in day-to-day practice. Um, Do you get to share that philosophy with your fellow practitioners and you know i tend to think that based on generalizing that some you know other medical doctors would go oh come on alice like but where does it sit with your fellow practitioners because we love it but what do you get from others your peers yeah that's a really good question um i suppose it's variable on um, you know the way and the stresses and, and strains of time commitments in a practice but I think we've got more and more evidence of the role of nutrition and well-being um, there in fact was another study called the smiles trial you may have heard of that by Professor Jacker that showed the role of um, exercise and non-smoking and diet particularly the Mediterranean diet on mood so I think there's more interest amongst the medical profession and the community to to look at this and it's proactive it needs energy to change it needs energy to have this commitment so you need support as well one of the things we spoke about yesterday, Alice, which I loved, was that um, when we mentioned, well, I think we, we, we touched on something around the use of pharmaceutical interventions, and then we touched on um, the the use of nutraceutical interventions, and that one might be seen to be more natural than the other. And we both had a bit of a chuckle, thought, oh, you know, ha, 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 pretty funny, because both of them are made in the same sort of laboratory, both of them are made in the same sort of facility, yeah. all TGA compliant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you and I both feel um, similarly about the types of products or the brands of products that we think are good and good enough um, if you to use supplementation. But we both felt that it was false to think that supplements are, in fact, natural because in many cases, these vitamins are synthetic and, and made from you know, petro, you know, the petrol companies or petroleum companies, et cetera, et cetera. So we both then agreed that it was more than just about taking a tablet or more than just about taking some high-dose vitamin C or more than just taking high-dose vitamin D. There was a whole lifestyle that needed to happen. Can we, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. I think there are two things here. If there's a deficiency, and and this is proven with symptoms and medical pathology that confirms a deficiency, you need to... Um, improve that deficiency and I think there's a role then for supplementation to help that deficiency but if we're looking at at wellness I think we've got everything in the colors of our food this is my belief and there's probably even more that we're discovering even um, in the skins of the food and so I think sort of trying to put the essence of something into a pill or a capsule probably 
belittles the complexity of, of nutrition and how the body processes it. You brought up a really interesting point about things. Anything you buy in a tablet form is actually chemically made, chemically synthesized. So um, I'm not sure how natural it is. I think that the natural is the actual food group. That's how I practice. So, Alice, yeah. last uh, a couple of months ago, we interviewed um, uh, Anzac war widow, Thelma, uh, who was 96 or 97 at the time. And, you know, Damo, as he loves to do with great interest, asks the question, so, you know, what do you like to eat? You know, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And it's it's, you know, simple food, some fish, some fruit, some veg, a handful of nuts here and there. And, you know, and then she goes, oh, and I'm not vegan or anything like that. And we're just, you know, laughing, laughing, thinking even now people in their mid-90s are kind of having to give little riders on their on their dietary choices. But I'd love to know your view on whether you believe that the things that have helped people like Thelma live to 100 or thereabouts, um, you know, over the last 100 years, whether they are the same things for people that are being born today or do you think the rules have shifted? Because when I listen to you talk about fruits and vegetables and skins and all the rest of it, I'm very much on that side. But I also hear the other view of, well, the world's different, the soil's changed, there's less magnesium, there's this, this, there's too much that and all the rest of it. Um, so where do, you, where do you sit in terms of the rules of ageing gracefully uh, today? Well, I think with Thelma, it was a different world. Uh, I, I don't know her world exactly, but there would have been food shortages and, and we're learning from Michael Mosley that actually um, not having food every day, having a break from food is is beneficial. So I don't know Thelma's history, but, you know, she food may not have been as available, as freely available. Whether she walked or um, used public transport or even carried things, so more stress on the actual physical body, um, her connectedness, her joy in her everyday life, these are all facets um, to our wellness that we probably can't measure. <laughs> or um, do you see where I'm coming from there? They, they add to the yeah. whole person. Um, and then you're saying about growing things today. I think that is probably a valid point. Um, I tend to say look, if you can grow some of your own things in a pot or in the garden or the herbs that don't take much space, they then add to your variety and add to the colour of your everyday food. Just uh, This may be a question for both of you because I think this yeah. is one that is um, interesting. When you mention Michael Mosley's work and, then you, and you mentioned the word fasting, I, I, I've done many fasts in my life. As Damien knows, we both had a chuckle. I've done a five-day water fast and other, <laughs> and other wonderful things. Yeah. But if there's one thing yeah. I observed yeah. when I'm fasting, um, and I'm not a career faster, but if there's one thing I observe, it's that my whole lifestyle – has to change around the fasting. I, I can't work 40-hour weeks and spend time with the children with all of the same level of energy as I normally do and go out and tackle the world. Um, and I tend to have a, again, this is just a view, there's no science to back this up, that the whole conversation around fasting was the, the lifestyle was very different back in the days when we were hunter-gatherers. If we were fasting, we were probably just sitting around, not 
not doing much. We're not going through the same fight, flight stresses of hunting or climbing trees and lifting heavy things. I tend to feel like our lifestyle would have been more relaxed, which is not as easy for people to cultivate today. Like, where do you both sit on this conversation of fasting? Because it seems to be more and more prevalent today, but I don't necessarily think it's you just copy what happened 100 years ago. What do you think, Damien? <laughs> oh, I thought you – I had a feeling you'd do that, Alice. Um, I, <laughs> I'm of the same opinion. What is interesting is that when you observe – um, successful ages, they just don't eat lots of food. So, yes, there might have been periods of time where they went without food, um, maybe because of poverty or scarcity. Uh, but whether or not that maketh the man or maketh the woman, uh, we, we won't ever really know. But people who are aging well now and have the least amount of um, chronic disease eat the least amount of food. So, maybe it's about a total calorie load um, on the body. And so maybe it's a total digestive load on the body. Um, and eating foods that are rich in fiber and fish, you know, rich in skins and color, like Alice is talking about, that might be the way to go. But not, you know, gorging on it. So just because just you buy a punnet of blueberries doesn't mean you've got to eat the punnet of blueberries in one sitting. And just because you buy a whole cauliflower doesn't mean you've got to eat the whole cauliflower in one sitting. So I think it's probably more about that. Mm. I think science will sort of will evolve and will learn more in the future. But going back to your point, Marcus, in the old religious traditions, when they had days of fasting, you're quite right, they were days of rest. They were, they, you know, they weren't running around doing what they normally do. It might be a walk in the park. I mean, from my understanding, some of the more, yeah, religious fasting is like, all right, family, let's go out and have a picnic. And you're breathing in the fresh air and you're in the open plains and you're not, answering emails, running meetings, fighting traffic. Yeah. Um, I don't. Again, I don't know what you guys think as health professionals, but I don't necessarily know that fasting in those times is, I don't want to say irresponsible, but like you don't want to be really battling physically when you're also hunting and gathering through your, your work day, if that yeah. makes any sense. I think the world today is 24-7, and so you're on, switched on, as you say. You, you know, you've got all the, the demons or the tigers jumping most of the time. It's it's, It's funny you say that, actually. Yeah, Yeah, because the demons don't really jump much. (laughs) Don't bring football into this. Don't bring football into this, you two. Uh, There we go. I don't know if Alice was actually talking football then, but she was using uh, metaphors around things that might tackle us. But it's funny that those two things do cause both Marcus and I significant amounts of stress. Um, Alice, uh, do you think, um, even though we're in a – you know, we're in a, a time of the world where our food quality is probably the best it's ever been. Um, the accessibility to food is incredible. Um, even though we may not all be getting organic food, do you think that given our daily stressors, the pollution, the fluorescent lighting, um, all of the other drainers on our nutrient um, I suppose, density in our body, do you think that we need to be supplementing every single day or do you really think we can get it all from food? Well, this is my personal belief. That's I, what we want. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think we, can, we can get um, the nutrition we need uh, from our everyday food because it's difficult for different people. Um, you know, students might find it hard to be able to buy food and um, 
Oh, what am I trying to say? It's food accessibility is not always straightforward. What is available? I think you just do your best. And I think to add more to that is another stress for people. Just um, yeah. buy, purchase what's available wherever you are. Um, and I quite like colours because that helps, you know, what's in season. You know, choose just if it's green, if it's in season. You just do the best you can. And it mightn't be organic because it mightn't be available. But uh, yeah. if you honestly just, just do the best, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I think we're very yeah. lucky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. See, we could keep on talking about that one for ages. <laughs> I want to go back to your um, to your doctorate um, because what you learned uh, in your doctorate was that uh, obviously there was the grain component, but it appeared to be people who were or women who were more focused or maybe more mindful of what they were putting into their body in that they felt that they were doing a better job with their food or their lifestyle that seemed to have a better response. Yes. And then you said to me that it was a whole body approach to health and a whole body approach to managing hormonal shift and change. And these days we see a lot of people go and get a prescription for a thyroid problem and because that's the problem, not the whole body problem. It's a thyroid problem. Or they go and have um, hormone replacement therapy because it's a uterus problem, not a whole body problem. So I'd love your take on that. How, how would we be best to manage hormone shift or dysfunction? Would it be a, a, an approach or a mindset or is it just simply a prescription? I think it's more complex. Uh, I think there can be the acute symptoms and... Uh, seeing where what's happening to the whole person at that time is relevant. But treating the symptoms is important. And if women are waking up hot in bed at night and sleep's disturbed, uh, I think they do well with hormone therapy. But as yeah. well as that, there may be other stresses of their life, like teenage kids in and out of <laughs> home and, you know, elderly parents and running to that. Mm. So it's a time of multiple factors. So uh, you might need a team to to sort of assist or, or think of other ways to help the whole person. But there's no harm in medication. Um, if there's a thyroid problem, well, you know, there is a thyroid problem and, and uh, you might need thyroid replacement. But as well as that... Uh, the whole person is relevant. What else is happening in their life and exercise for well-being and sleep. Sleep is really important, making sure we have enough rest. Yeah, I just love I love your wisdom on this, Alice, and that you're not so um, emotionally attached one way or the other. I often maintain <laughs> after I had surgery, uh, no amount of broccoli was going to take that pain away. Um, I no. wanted the endone left, right, and center. Um, and I wasn't going to have it forever, but gee whiz, was I grateful for it at the time. On top of my homeopathics yeah. and my chiropractic adjustments and my green smoothie and my chamomile tea for my pain reduction and all the rest of it, but I just love your wisdom in um, 
not going too far. You you said earlier, or maybe it was before you hit record, that you help um, a lot of medical students. Uh, well, you teach them meditation, um, and no doubt that would help them to be present. Uh, Ideally, in their appointments, when you've got people coming in under a lot of stress and 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 so on. If I can tie that tie this question into what you mentioned earlier about just the importance of nutrition, where do you sit for the people listening that you know they eat all the right foods, um, they they move their bodies and they've got good friends and family, but they're under a lot of stress. Um, I tend to have a Sarah and I have conversations about you know the impact of stress to impact your absorption of all of the good things that you're doing. Um, what are your insights and tips for people that are doing a lot of the right things but maybe their stress response is, is impacting the benefits of, lo- of a lot of those good habits? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question because we don't live in isolation. We live in a world with different stresses impacting us. And um, I'd, I'd say... It's life (laughs) and things get thrown at us and so everything you're doing, you just keep keep on doing it and and to ride the waves. With the med students, they're under tremendous stress, just the workload uh, of the medical course and the the tests repeatedly. And uh, I'm one of the tutors with Dr. Craig Hassett at Monash University and it's been shown that the stress level in the medical students has been decreased by uh, learning mindfulness which is just to pay attention to the present moment without judgment. So to just bring your attention back to this moment now that we're we're speaking. And as well as that, they uh, look at the trying to implement lifestyle changes for themselves and actually learning how difficult that is. It's to change behaviours, actually trying to be comfortable with the uncomfortable because change is, you know, it's uncomfortable to change habits. So I think it's a fantastic program. They do it in their first year and so they then have the groundwork if uh, in the future if they have stress themselves, they can implement these practices or if they see it in patients, they can uh, see the benefits of, of advising um, mindful practice, which is actually quite simple. Uh, no, not quite simple, quite straightforward in just bringing your attention back. We, Craig uses this description of the monkey mind. The mind always flies off onto something else, but... If we're just aware of that and bring it back, um, no yeah. matter how difficult life is at the present moment, that that is the strategy. And and can I just quote another person? Matt Killingsworth did some research in the US, and he was able to show that uh, people were generally happier if they could bring their awareness back to the present moment, even if that those moments are difficult and those moments are hard. Uh, that that quality of life of being present is um, one I think we I, I hope to cultivate myself. I feel happier. I know we feel happier just listening to you speak, Alice. And <laughs> honestly, Absolutely. honestly, Absolutely. The, the, the funny thing is, and I'm sure for all of our listeners, when you actually said when you focus on the present moment, you are happier. I'm like. 
I'm just going to absorb the present moment and I felt a level of <laughs> grace and calm and peace, which, again, yeah. we truly uh, we honor you for, we thank you for. It's so nice when people bring our attention into the present moment um, and, you know, because honestly I was thinking, okay, we're about to wrap up this interview, get ready to say the right things and all the rest of it. Then you're like, be present in the moment like, ah. Oh. It's actually really nice. So we thank you for the reminder. And, you know, you said that uh, health practitioners or medical practitioners receive this in the first year. Um, of course, I feel like, Damo, every health practitioner needs that training every year for their entire career <laughs> and not yes, just at university. It's not a once-off. That is a an every year um, yeah. type practice and... Yeah, I mean, on behalf of uh, the public at large, um, I know that you uh, you enjoy a level, a level of anonymity, Alice, but uh, you are one of the most well-respected and most loved medical practitioners in the country. And we, uh, so no, honestly, because I know you're in the middle of practice, and um, we know how busy you are. And to give us some time on a Thursday morning um, away from your your, your patients we are truly grateful and no doubt our listeners are as well and so uh, Alice we thank you so much for your time uh, on 100 Not Out this morning okay thank you thank you guys and, and have a lovely day a wonderful day thank you so day. much Dr Alice <laughs> thank you we will. you too uh, the great Dr okay. Alice there Damo what a joy and Damo well done on being able to uh, have Alice join us on the podcast this morning. That's a good get by you because I know you've known Alice for some time and to be able to have her on is a, is a real privilege. So well done to you, yes. great man. Yes, it's a coup. It that is, is a coup. coup. <laughs> um, for all yeah. of our listeners, uh, for more on Damo, head on over to DamienChristoph.com, myself, MarcusPierce.com.au to find out about our one uh, our 100 Not Out longevity experience to Ikaria. Head over to 100notout.com. And until next week, folks, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.